We're going through a series at the moment, the road through Romans, and we're at Romans chapter 6, but um, I invite you to open up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is the story of Nicodemus visiting Jesus in the night. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He has an important question for Jesus. And the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with an answer that confuses Nicodemus because Jesus says, I'm sure you're all familiar with it. You must be born again. You must be born again. And the logical question is, <laughs> Jesus, come on. I, in the past, I've laughed at Nicodemus asking this question. But, but it's logical. How can we be born again? What does it actually mean to be born again? And we use this born again expression lots of times. You know, we ask people, so, you know, are you a Christian? And then some of us might say, if they say yes, it, oh, but, but are you like a born-again Christian? <laughs> That's different, right? Are you born again? And we say, well, they might say, what does that mean? And I don't know, the conversation goes on to say, well, you know, are you regenerated? Have you been born again? And then that response leads to more confusion. And this morning, I really would like to help us all describe what it actually means to be born again. What actually takes place, because to the person who is lost out there, I think we don't do them a favor by using what we say Christianese. The Christian terminology, which, you know, probably half of us don't even know ourselves. Regeneration. Made new. And so I'm hoping this morning, even for the young ones, because this is so important for everyone in this room, for you to get to the point where you could explain to someone simply, clearly, what does it actually mean? to be born again, because we know it's required to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's so important to understand this. The question Jesus answers is very truly in verse 5, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So even that statement right there confounds us, confounds a lot of people, because we say, what? We have to be born of water. Does that mean we have to be baptized in water? What does that mean? And then, what? Not just born of water, but born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. How does that happen? What, what, what do you have to do? How does that work? And so the answer to this question is found in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. what does it mean to be born again? That's my hope in preaching this message, to have a clear 
understanding and definition what it actually means. So we can go out there and we can, in turn, pass on this important and significant question to be answered. But firstly, just for a quick recap, this is the question that we're ultimately trying to answer that people have been accusing Paul of when he talks about grace. And this is a logical question to answer. If you understand grace fully, everyone has to be able to answer this question. If you ignore this question, then I'd, I, I, our, our full comprehension of what grace means, I feel, is limited in our understanding. And so the question is, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because Paul is saying, whatever sin you commit, grace will always forgive. And so the logical thing does that mean I can just do what I want and grace will always abound? Grace will always take over. Grace will always cancel out the sin. And so that question is, as we've been going through the last um, few messages in Romans chapter 6, is it's, 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 it's a question that doesn't make sense, actually. Because, first of all, we turn that question into a different question where we say, does this mean we can do or we can sin or we want? That's, that's what we use, this question. How many people have asked this question? As, uh, does that mean we can sin or we want and then grace may abound? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. All of us die to sin. So if the answer is die to sin, how can we still live in it? And so interpretation of this is I've got an X there. Please don't interpret this answer as sin, you are dead to me. It's not sin, you are dead to me. It's I am dead to sin. You might be wondering, is there a difference? Well, hopefully you will say there is by the end of this message if you are still not there. You will know in this message that I'll say a number of things in a different way, but they all mean the same thing. And I believe Paul is doing it in, um, in, uh, in this passage as well. You might disagree, or you might agree. Uh, let's see um, if we get there. But last week we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into Christ. And so let's delve into that a little bit deeper. Because therefore, in verse 4, it says, We were buried together with him through baptism into his death. Remember, baptism means immersed. So we are immersed in Christ. We understand that our spirits have been immersed into Christ's spirit and we are made new. We are made new. New. We have been given a new spirit. But in order for us to be given a new spirit, we have to be baptized into his death. We actually have to die so that we can live. And so, stay with me if you can. Um, we'll get into that more specifically soon. But just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So this is such a very important statement because 
to so many, Christianity is just a ticket to heaven. Even their understanding of what Jesus has done for them. It's like Jesus has just forgiven you of your sin and he's just given you a ticket to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. They won't perish. You'll have eternal life. You'll have your ticket to heaven and then we stop there. We stop there. But that's just half of the good news. That's not sufficient to be the good news because let's just say, hey, God just stopped there. He forgave me of my sin. Okay? He made me clean. And he gave me my ticket to heaven. But that's it. He didn't change me at all. So therefore, I'm still going to act the way that I did before I came to Christ. He just is going to leave me to my own devices, to my own efforts, to my own strength. It doesn't work. He has to actually change us. He actually has to recreate us to make us be born again. Going back to that born again. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, okay, notice that word united. We are one with Christ, one with God in Christ. We are one. We cannot be separated anymore. Remember, baptism means immersed. We are immersed together. We, we cannot get away from each other anymore. But Paul is saying here, if we have been united with him in a death like his, well, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like this. So go back to verse 4. We too may walk in newness of life. Another way of saying it, we have a resurrection like his. So when we get baptized in the water, thankfully we're not kept under, right? We get pulled back up. To us, that's a symbol of being resurrected, of having a new life. You might be tempted to think, hey, yes, we're resurrected when we get up there. But no, we're resurrected at that moment, not as we get baptized in our water, but baptized in the Spirit. Remember, the water is the symbol for what happens to us. So we go down, we die, we get brought up, we are given a new life. And just to show, you know, put, this is not the, just the only time, you know, notice how God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Notice how that's something that has already happened. It's not something that's going to happen. Physically it will, but spiritually we are already 
there in Christ. We can't get away from him. We have a lot of people in this world that, yes, they've trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but it's up to them to make sure that they stay close to God. In other words, that's up to them to make sure that they attend church enough, that they pray enough, that they read their Bible enough in order to stay close to God, in order to stay right with God. But the simple fact is this. Because we are made one with him, we can actually not get away. We actually don't have a, really a choice in the matter of staying right with God. We can't. We can't change our minds, which might be um, confusing for a lot of people because you might have been taught, well, no, I can change my mind because there's lots of people that change their minds. There's the case where, you know, obviously it's against our free choice if, if you know, we no longer have um, any freedom to do our own thing. It's simply not the case. But verse 6 says, For we know that our old self, and this is really where if you're still not there, we really get into the crux of it. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I just wanted you to take a few moments just to reflect on a few phrases in that one verse. Why? Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul's on old self was crucified. Our old self was crucified. Just pause on that moment. With him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is not the first time that Paul says that we're slaves to sin, but it's a very important concept to know that we are slaves to sin when we are brought into this world. Another way of saying it is we, we are in Adam. And remember that we have to be transformed out of Adam into Christ in order to be made new. The problem is not who we are. Sorry, the problem is not what we do, but who we are. That's the problem. I'll repeat that one more time. I've said it a, a few times and I'm going to continue to say it. The problem is not with our behavior. The problem in this world is not what we do. That's not the problem. That's not our problem with God. The problem is who we are as a human. The problem is that we are born in Adam. That's our nature. That's our, that's our state. And we need to be in Christ. You might be curious to say so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Your version might say be destroyed, which is an interesting English translation. Because when you look at the Greek, it doesn't necessarily mean destroyed. It just means will have no effect. So when we're talking about 
the body ruled by sin. When we're in Adam, we are a body ruled by sin. But when we're in Christ, we're no longer have that sin no longer has that dominion over us. Sin no longer rules over us. Now we should no longer be slaves to sin. So just think of that word slaves. When we're a slave to something, do we have a choice on what we do? No. There's only one way to act when we're in Adam, and that's sinful. But remember, there is some good-looking sin out there. In the Bible, we're reminded of verses of all the bad sins, you know, adultery, lying, fornication, stealing, murder, you know. They're all the bad sins. But there are some good-looking sins, remember? Good-looking sins like, you know, false humility. In fact, anything done that we see as good out there that's not done in faith is still classed as sinful. Because there are some people out there that are lost that I reckon when you look at them as a, from a human standpoint, man, they're the most holy people ever. They're more holy than us. They do way more righteous things. They volunteer so much more than us. They, they, they do all these things for people. There's so much love in their, in their, in their hearts, in their, in their actions, in their words. They, they never lie. They always treat people with respect. Maybe even some more than us. But still, if they are in Adam, that is still what they're doing, sin. Okay. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Some people interpret that as, well, if we're set free from sin, does that mean I will never sin? And so some people do take this literally because they just read that. But we know that can't be true because it denies or rejects or contradicts other verses of Scripture that state, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Which implies John writing that in his, I think, first letter, that we are going to sin. And there's many more. So what could this possibly mean then if, well, are we set free from sin? The conclusion would have to be is that we are set free from the power of sin. We're set free from the penalty of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over me. I actually have a choice in the matter. And so if we go back to, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified. A good verse to remember is Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's just interesting that Paul says, I no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And if you read that verse 21 and onwards, he goes back to I. And you wonder, okay, 
Well, I no longer live, but then you're saying, I live, I'm doing this. So what is it? What does that mean? And so the question for this morning is, what is that old self that has been crucified? What part of me has died? And we've touched on this a few times, where the common interpretation is, well, my, my old relationship with sin has died. My old association. And we say, yes, yes, but there's more than that. It's more to that. And so what really will help us understand this is this verse found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah states that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. And then he goes on to say that, you know, God searches the heart. And then we come up with a sermon saying, oh, you've got to make sure that your heart is right with God, that your intentions are good, that your motives are right, because God knows the heart, and it's deceitful, it's desperately wicked, not even you can know it. When we are born into this world, we all have this desperately wicked heart. Which comes into the good news. You might say, what? Okay, is my heart desperately wicked or not? We come into a prophecy found in Ezekiel where God declares to his people, a new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. So God is saying there, I will take out that stony heart. I will take out that wicked that deceitful heart, and I will give you a new heart. Notice how he says, oh, so I'll give you a new spirit. I believe these two words can be used synonymously. When we talk about our old self, I believe it's talking about our old heart, our old spirit. Because we've been talking about who are you as a person? What defines you as a person? For the average Joe out there, it's their job, right? It's what they do. Hey, how are you going? What do you do for a living? Usually the first question that we ask. And then I associate that person with what he does. Obviously, that's not who defines us. And then we might think, hmm, our mind, our, our personality. Is that what defines us? Who we are as a person? I don't even think that's right. Because let's just say our personality has been foiled with mental illness or whatever. Does that mean I'm 
that, that defines me as a person. And I always think back to these experiences that people have, these near-death experiences. You ever heard those stories where when someone is on their deathbed, they might um, lose consciousness. And it's like a spirit leaves out of them. Now you might say this is made up, or it's just a, a story. It's just, and we can't rely on people's experiences. But there is evidence in this because one such occasion I think of is people are testifying. For instance, doctors are testifying on, on operating on a particular person, them doing things in the room, saying things in the room. The person coming back into their body and being able to retell everything that the doctor did and the doctor said. And it's not just one occasion. It's multiple testimonies of, of that. So it's not just Scripture telling me that I am defined by my spirit. I'm identified as my spirit, but I'm defined as my new heart, my spirit. I was going to say, we're not defined by anything else other than our spirit. And so when you think of this advice, follow your heart. This is just a quote I found. Follow your heart and listen when it speaks to you. you know, how, many, how, many, how many of us are afraid to do that? Just follow your heart. Is this a dangerous thing to do? Well, yes, if you have a deceitful and desperately wicked heart, right? But if you have a new heart, if you have a new spirit, isn't this the best advice that we can be given? Remember, it's not us anymore. We have been made new. I should say it's not our old self anymore. We have been made new and not just, it's just not us, it's immersed, it's united with Christ. And so later on in Romans chapter 6, this heart that we have is, is described as one of, of being an obedient heart. It's an obedient heart. And therefore I think that's some good advice for us to do if we are fully contemplating whatever decision might be going our way, that we can follow our heart and know that if we are expressing Jesus, if we are fully complying and not going into our old self, not thinking back to our old self, then we can be safe to follow our heart. Now, so just the final few verses that we're just going to touch on today is now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Do you see how he's repeating something that we've just gone over? If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. God does not leave us in the tomb, just like he didn't leave Jesus in the tomb. He just doesn't leave us dead in our trespasses, but he quickens us. He makes us alive. 
in verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Now I underline that, never to die again. We are never to die again. We are only to die once. Do you know anyone that attends a, a certain type of communion where the goal is to die again so that we can be made new? It's not just us dying too. It's Jesus dying again, over again and again and again, each time. And without that sacrifice, well, you can't be forgiven. My Bible's telling me something different. Having been raised from the dead is never to die again. No longer. Death no longer is master over him. The consequences, the wages of sin is death. The power, the penalty of sin is death. Did you know death has no more dominance over you? As long as Christ lives, we are going to live. And therefore, we sin because we choose to, not because we have to. Do you know there's only one way to live? One way to live when you are in Adam. And that is to sin. You don't have a choice. You actually can't do anything that's good. Now you might say, but what about that person just giving their whole time to charity? Yes, to us that's good. To our human standpoint, that's good. But to God, it's like a filthy rag. All their righteousness is like filthy rags. Remember, the problem is not what you do. It's who you are. But because we still sin... We had to say that we chose to do that. We chose to do that. We have a choice. And we're going to get into more about this. When we come into Christ, when we're baptized, even though He's taken out our stony heart, He's given us a new heart, He's given us a new spirit, even though that's all done, we still have a choice. And where does that choice start with? It starts up here. It starts up here. And this is why we're told in Romans chapter 12, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, this, this thing up here is not made new. Your memories aren't wiped. You still have all those memories of how you used to act. And the problem is we do the problem that we have is that we always rely on this rather than this. And finally, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus dying to sin. He died to sin. But you might ask, 
How can that be? He, he didn't have any sin. He didn't die to sin. So it has to be something that we experience that he has experienced. What do we share with Christ in relation to us being dead to sin? It can't be our actual sinful ways. It has to be that he has died to the penalty, to the power of sin. To make this more clearer, because this is actually a very hard passage. Confuses not just normal, everyday Christians, but even theologians, because they have disagreements over this. But to make it clearer of what that actually means, is think about Hebrews 8, where Jesus mediates a better covenant. In Hebrews 8, it talks about the Old Testament. What was the Old Testament in the covenant for them to get forgiven? They had to sacrifice their animals each year. Each year. Did the, the power of sin, was the power of sin eradicated under the Old Testament? No, because they still had to sacrifice the animals. Jesus, being a one-time offering, one time, being that sacrifice that eradicates the power of sin for good. Death. That's the covenant that we are under. That's the covenant that we rejoice in. And that's what I think Paul is bringing into conclusion here. The answer to the question, what, shall we continue to sin? That grace may abound? Remember, no, he's not saying that, oh, no, don't do it, because God will get angry. He's saying, we can't do it. We can't remain in that state where we will continually to enjoy and be content with our sins. And so the, the main applications that I'm trying to get from, from Romans chapter 6 is, well, this helps us define, this helps us work out whether we actually are a born-again believer. Because when we sin, are you happy with it? Do you enjoy it? Are you content with it? Do you like it? Or does something happen in you? Something happens in your spirit and your heart where there's a conflict. There's some hostility. There has to be conflict because then you are disobeying an obedient heart. There has to be conflict. And the other thing is defines is, well, it helps us know, firstly, that we can sin, we can struggle with sin, and the question I'm trying to 
to, um, oh, the, not the question, the statement that I'm trying to help us all get around and be clear about is, is, is when someone might say to you or you might say to yourself, a Christian could never do that. Christian could never do that. But that's not what defines whether we're Christian. Our behavior is not that because we still have a choice. And that's what we're going to get more into as we go further into chapter 6. But next time, how do we approach? What are some practical ways that we can do when we actually are struggling with sin? What are some practical ways that we can do? And it's not, oh, just being resolved to say, can't do that, won't do that, won't do that, I won't do that, I'll stay away from that, I'll stay away from that, I'll say no to that. It's more, I'll give you a hint, of believing who we actually are. Today we covered knowing it. Do you know who you are today in Christ? Do you know who you are? Well, the next step we're going to get into next time is we have to believe it. We actually have to affirm it. We have to trust in it. And the guy who's going to get you to stop you doing that is the devil. He doesn't want you to believe it. He doesn't want you to know it because we know how powerful it is. So that's what we're getting to next time for now. Let's pray and, um, and commit ourselves to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for the wonderful truth it is to know that we have been made new. We are a, literally a new creation. And we know, Father God, that it had to happen in order for us to be more than conquerors, in order for us to live a victorious Christian life. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you've transformed us out of Adam and into Christ. Thank you so much, Father, that you've operated on us. You've given us spiritual surgery. You've taken out that old heart, that old spirit, and given us a new one. We're thankful that we can be immersed with you, be united with you, we know it's needed. Help us, Father, as your children, to trust in it, to believe in it. As we know there's some of us going through rough patches where we're tempted to do the wrong thing, where we're tempted to go back to our old ways, our old self. Lord God, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.